0: On the desert road to Baghdad, did you care? When the ground began to shake, were you there? With the dead along the streets, little kids beneath old sheets? Was there time between your meats, in your chair? Did you care? Was it fair? I'm looking for a shadow, hoping for a drink, walking past an and trying not to think, fighting for a general, a thousand miles away. Eating lousy rations while he tries to cut our pay.
1: So Robin, for the second time today, how are you, brother?
0: I'm good. Uh, I managed to make my tea faster than you did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, friends at home, massive welcome Uh, to the podcast. Massive uh, welcome to welcome Robin back. I've just been off and uh, made myself a cup of tea because we've just done another podcast prior to this with um, Olympic, uh, Great Britain's Olympic, I hate to use the word hope, um, but I think that's the expression for the Paris 2024. It was Georgina Roberts and the three of us discussed Shooting, which is her um, shotgun shooting is her her discipline. Um, so now we're going to go again, and Robin's going to very kindly discuss his latest publication, Warrior Poet A Soldier's Songs. And I've had a read of this earlier. Uh, have to say, did uh, it, it got a bit smoky in here because, um, I think that's a sign you've
0: hit the spot, Robin, isn't it? I think it is. Uh, I think it is, Chris. The thing about um, my generation especially when they uh, hear about poetry they go oh my god I don't talk to me about that it's horrible and they remember having to learn something at school in language that made absolutely no sense to them and yet in real life you know every day um, a lot of us quote poetry we quote Shakespeare which is all poetry and um, you know we, we love rhyme and we love rhythm and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's sad And the joy of making up a silly limerick, for example, uh, is great fun. But, um, and we love songs. And songs, you know, are really poems with music. So it's a peculiar thing, but to hit the mark really, really well, it has to have emotion and emotion in words that um, that people can feel rather than remember. And it's a performance art, which is the thing about a book is that you have to try and get the whole rhythm uh, in your head the way it works. So I I put little I put little sentences in before saying that it was who really inspired me. And in some cases it's people like Benny Hill. Um, so you get the kind of patter that goes with it. And sometimes it has to be done with a hard Scottish accent. And it's available on Amazon. It's only available on Amazon because I could self-publish it. Um, publishers are still trying to catch up on last year because of COVID. So um, rather than sit on it and wait but it's fully illustrated all the way through. Every every two pages is fully illustrated with um, photographs turned into works of art. And yes, and there's one particular picture, if I
1: can find it, I've just made a few marks here. Uh, uh, uh. Hang on a sec, bear with me. Look at this, wasting five minutes of our podcast. It froze for me so to, Was I freezing?
0: Just for a moment, yeah.
1: Oh God. Yes, this picture, I, I believe I stood next to that, isn't it, in Reykjavik? That's it, yeah.
0: That's where I took it, yeah.
1: Very modern, sort of modern art statue of, I'm guessing, what would have been a Viking longboat back in the day. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And
0: we did the whole thing in black and white to add to the mood, which I think it really does all the way through. But, um, yeah, the illustrations are done by a, a wonderful illustrator called Tommy Brabham, who I met here in Prague. And um, in between the two of us, I think we've produced something that's uh, rather extraordinary. Um, but you, you know, there's war poems, there's love poems, there's um, funny poems. Um, there's some that are a real piss take. Um, you, you know, it's, it's something for everybody, but uh, and it's something you can leave on your coffee table and talk about for the next three years. Yes, I think there's, um, I'm just gonna say here and
1: now, friends at home what what an absolutely excellent gift to give to anyone not just whether they've been a veteran or not but be- particularly if they have um this is going to resonate this picture caught my my eye robin is that the um
0: that's one of my old friends stuart mclaughlin yes and, um, he um he was killed just after the assault on mount longdon with three parra um and uh, i say is he Probably the only person I ever knew that I ever absolutely regarded as a hero. A great friend. I read all about his
1: exploits, his bravery. Um, Oh, God, putting myself on the spot here in that wonderful book um, written by former para. I usually have my books on my shelf to jog my memory. Uh, Vince Bramley. No, I don't Uh, know. Vince Bramley wrote a book. I think it was called something along the lines of descent into hell for anybody watching who wants to read it go into the notes below this video and you'll see my shop chris Rule's, um shop and that book is in in my shop it's just, just basically a direct link that takes you to amazon um lots of people said this gentleman should have
0: won the victoria cross uh, did i get that right yeah i agree with that entirely if anybody deserved a VC. Uh, In the Falklands, it was uh, was Stuart McLaughlin. He fought tirelessly on that mountain, um,
1: taking over when when the higher command was getting killed, leading the younger soldiers and setting the example um, as they took out the enemy trenches, took out a lot uh, a lot of enemy, and then sadly, ultimately, toward I think even towards the end of that battle,
0: lost his own life. No, he was, he was wounded and um, he was walking back uh, to the medical aid station and, and an artillery shell at random killed him. Gosh. Mm. Uh, awful. So how should we approach
1: this, Robin? Shall I Shall I just quickly do a quick appraisal? Um, not appraisal, well, that's the wrong word. But um, I love this piece, uh, Dawn's Early Light. I won't read all of it um, and um, I hope I can... Do it justice if not, Robin, feel free to take over, but for endless years we huddled in a dark night and defended ourselves from the I'm probably not giving this the right cadence, but from the cold concealing, from the cold, concealing ourselves in silent fear from the demons of hate hidden in the shadows. We waited, hoping beyond all hope that a new day would come after the long, long night, a night of years. What came into my mind was when we when we were hunter gatherers and we would have lived in caves and just that sheer uh, reassurance that daybreak brought when the sun came over the horizon and it was no longer dangerous animals prowling around and, and, and terrible cold to deal with. And also um, I've read a lot of life raft stories like Stephen Callahan's 76 Days Adrift. Very brilliant book, folks. I think that's in
0: my in my shop. And that's it. That's it. It's about holding on when all, everything seems lost and holding on and holding on, enduring the uh, bad times, um, say about people who are in despair. Um, hold on. Yeah. Yes. And so uh-huh. it's about that. And it's the last poem in the book. Um, so, the, you know, there's some very profound stuff in there. There's some really funny stuff in there, too, because, you know, you don't want to be all boom and gloom and misery. Um, you know, the, the, the one on, uh, I think it's on page two, which is uh, useless Banker. <laughs> um, you know, I mean that's a funny one. I can read that for you quickly. Yeah, you if you can. go for it, you're going to do it better, more justice <laughs> than, I, than I probably did. Yeah. yeah. It says, it's a simple poem about excuses. Useless Banker. You can't blame me for what I do. It's not my fault I work with fools. I tried for top celebrity, but ended up making people tea. I want to blame my mental health, perhaps I'm lacking mental wealth. I couldn't cope, I couldn't work, I called my boss a stupid jerk. I couldn't wait despite the shapes, the drugs I took, put on the brakes. I didn't learn to read and write because my attitude was shite. I couldn't go for a position, work inflames my skin condition. I think that I should get more breaks. I think my mum should make me cakes. I think that I deserve much more. I re- I'm really worth the pay of four. It's not my fault. I'm not a banker. I'm really. God made me a useless. (laughs) I think we all saw that that line coming. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This one, I think, is
1: going to touch deeply in a few people's heart. I haven't got my glasses on, but about the sinking of the Sir Galahad Mm. at Bluff Cove in 1982. Memories of the weather clearing, the sun shining and the blood flowing in the water. And the beauty of this it's it's so simple um, it's both novel and 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 um, just this the beauty of this is is the simplicity of this is beautiful I think so Galahad gray ships, gray seas, gray skies, blue skies, red ships, red skins, red seas and that was um oh
0: um, ah no it's gone we will we'll, it was the Welsh Guards and um, you know, the, the jets came in, bombed them while they were on the ship.
1: Yes, yeah, uh, so
0: I was just trying to
1: think of the Royal Marines officer's name, who who was absolutely incandescent about it because I think he was in charge of amphibious landing and he told the Welsh guards to get off or apologies if it wasn't the Welsh Guards he told, but he'd he told he tried to organise them getting ashore and getting dug in. And That's it's right.
0: That's exactly, that's exactly what happened. The uh, Royal Marines were on shore. Two were on shore with them, but the Marines sent out um, flat platforms to bring the troops to shore um, before dawn or just after dawn. And um, they, um, the, the commander of the guards officer in charge said, I'll bring my men ashore when I want to. And um, uh, a short time later, the jets came in and uh, hit the ships with the bombs and lost a lot of men, a lot yeah. of men should yeah. say
1: hello to my friend Simon Weston. Simon, if you ever get to watch this, very graciously came on the, on, on the podcast. What an incredible, incredible human being.
0: Yeah, does a lot of good work for other people. He really does. Can you
1: read this one to us, Robin? Page 39. <clears throat> I think uh, that's a picture uh, a, a lot of us dads will relate to.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a photograph that my wife took just after I got back from the Falklands. My um, first son, Alex, was born 10 days after the surrender. And um, that's me holding him. And it was called First Meeting. In the, Mar- in the Marines,
1: Robin, we'd say, get a haircut. In fact, get two haircuts.
0: <laughs> uh, first Meeting. Hello, here we are, both with our roles. Mine father, your son, a joining of souls.
1: Yes, and that last line, I think is where... Some fathers fall down, isn't there? You know, there's that that bond between a father and his son is so powerful for that little boy, and it's a commit. It's a commitment, Robin, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I I I wrote about it back in with my first book, Fighting Scared, my autobiography, and I said I felt that somebody had joined a a, a piece of, of something joined between us, like a cord joined between us. Um, that could never be broken. If it was, it would be one of the most painful experiences I could ever ever imagine, you know, and that's the same with all my children. Yeah,
1: I sat um, when I worked in Mozambique, a place we have both both worked in. I was there as a, um, let's, let's, I was actually there as a development instructor, but my role at the top, the, my role was a teacher in a street children's school. And I sat on the beach in Nikala, Nikala Porto, which was near to the, the village we worked in. And I was there, one of my students, Shamfar, obviously a child, um, and being a street child, I said, well, you know, what what happened to your dad? And he didn't answer. And when I sort of looked, he, I, I could see he was trying, God, it's going to set me off now. He, he was trying not to burst into tears. And he said, you know, Matar and the... Guerra Grandi, like, k- killed in the big war. Um, and even though, you know, I, fortunately, I've still got my father, I, I, I just knew the how tragic that, you know, to lose your dad, the, the one person a boy looks up to more than, who's going to look up to more than anyone else on the planet, to have him taken away and taken away by war. Um, God, we were... Both in tears, Robin. It was it was
0: awful, absolutely awful. I was in the cala on Christmas 1990 or 80. Um, I was part of that war. I was a major in Frelimo, working out of Nampula in the north. And at Christmas, we drove to the sea, um, which was a bit risky, but we decided to go for it because we were very short of food and um, there was plenty of food on the coast. And um, we got uh, we got on the coast there and managed to get some fresh fish and some meat and some even some champagne and some beer. And me and a guy called Roger Brown, we set off up the coast and we're going to have Christmas Day having a barbecue on the beach by the sea, looking out of the ocean, rather than the uh, situation inland where there was a pretty tough war going on, starvation. And um, as soon as we arrived, there was nobody there. And then people started to gather around us. wanting a piece of what we had. And I got quite upset because I was like, this is the one day of the year where I want something for just for me and you people. And I was getting quite upset about it and quite angry. And uh, a mother sat down with a little boy and she un- unwrapped some newspaper and she had some bread in. And she gave some bread to this little boy. And there was me trying not to share me champagne and not share me barbecue and get rid of these people. And um, the little baby boy, is about three, Uh, walked up to me and offered me a piece of his bread
1: muslim um philosophy isn't it or muslim way is you you share
0: half half christians but um it was the scrooge had been visited (laughs) by the ghost of christian
1: oh as westerners robin we get these wake-up calls when we go abroad i mean um mozambique good example sort of what is it like a it's a mix, isn't it? There's kind of a, 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 the, the witchcraft kind of thing going on there, which is very serious. And I, I met wit- witch doctors while I was there and met people, people just took it so seriously. Then you've got the Christian influence. And then, of course, you've got the Muslim influence. But You get in a car with, you know, someone's you're driving down the road. You see some hitchhikers, you, you pick them up. It's a, a woman and a baby or a man and a woman. One of them's got the malaria full-blown malaria and they're heading to the hospital to try to get some chloroquine or whatever it is and they're, they're shaking but they're still smiling yeah. and they get their their one bread out for the day and the first thing they do is rip it in half and and, and give you half and it,
0: yeah. it... That's right, it was a country that I was very sad to come home from.
1: Yeah, yeah, incredible place.
0: I was in tears when I left. Um, the sharing, uh, the, 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 the ability to to enjoy the, the good things in life every single day, because death is so close. And you see death every single day, not just for war, but from disease, from starvation. Um, when I had my own, I had in the South, uh, in Karamana, I had my own troops. And um, on a cold night, uh, we would have two men dead from malaria um, on a regular basis. You wake up in the morning who died of malaria last night. Um, so yeah. It's um it's very different. Uh, you can't tell a blind man what a color is. People have to experience it. But uh, the beauty of people that live for today and can be happiest with the smallest of things, and then you come home and it's a hell of a shock to find that somebody that says she's traumatized because the nanny had to take a day off or the milkman didn't come, you know. I hate when
1: I've been out traveling the world and experiencing this incredible hospitality, which I've had in 85 countries now. And you get back to a bloody London airport or somewhere and you speak to the guy in baggage or whatever to get your back or what, what, and I, excuse me, mate, do, do you know that where I can get the bus to? Yeah. What won't it's too I, I know this guy's got an ego problem, but it's still like, you just want to grab that person and say, I wish you'd fucking just been where I've been and seen the utter poverty and the kids dying in front of your eyes.
0: They yeah, you just you look can't... at you I and mean, what's your point. Um, like I said, blind, man's in, blind men and colours, you know, they don't care. Um, you've got, in Britain today, I find that everybody's so densely packed in. Um, there's, and every, every, everybody's wound up by social media and by the national media as well. and made to feel anxious all the time. And they forget how to sing and they forget how to dance and they forget how to sit around as a family and share food and laugh and take the mickey out of one another and not take everything so seriously. I mean, how can you have humour if every word has to be taken seriously and um, disassembled and turned into something that it is was never intended to be? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, British society, people complain about their, their mental health a lot of the time, but it's the engagement that they have with society through a camera, rather than by sitting at a table. People say things on a camera or on the internet that they would never dare say to somebody sat in the same room. Uh, why do they do it? Because they feel safe to be as rude and horrible as they wish. And people remember the frowny faces, not the happy faces. You know, so uh, chill out, sing more, yeah. you know, make a fool of yourself. Have a laugh.
1: I was at the... I, we, we actually lived... Um, was it Nicala Porto was the city, wasn't it? We lived in Muzwani Bairo, which just I think Bairo is, is Portuguese for village, um, right on the cliff overlooking that beautiful, was it the Indian Ocean? Yep. Um, or the Mozambique Channel? Yeah,
0: that's it.
1: And at weekends, we had a friend who was a sort of uh, aid worker there. I actually know he was in um, customs at the port and he'd rock up in his Land Rover because we didn't have transport could take us out to one of the beaches not not every weekend but did this five or six times and I'm not sure if it's Naiherengi beach or whether that's I'm getting the name wrong there but I was fishing with my Hungarian friend Jo and uh, I'd taken my backpack off and amongst the various things in there was a mask and snorkel my stepfather had, had given me before I'd left the UK and went hey our son you take that one, and he was a lovely, lovely man. Dave died, died very, very, very young, tragically, um, and he was very, very, even uh, incredibly ill at that time, dying of leukemia. So the fact he'd given me this mask was a, a special thing. So I took my backpack, my day sack off, put it down on, on 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 the rocks, walked to the edge as you do, and and cast out. The next thing, hey, Jolt saying, Chris, look, and I looked over two locals and i'd wondered why i'd seen these black faces popping up in in, in you know the the scrub in mozambique it's <laughs> thick, thick yeah. thick thorn scrub isn't it it's almost yeah almost impenetrable mm. and i looked over my shoulder these guys legged it out of the, the the bush ran across these razor sharp rocks they were razor sharp i as a westerner you never you could never have gone barefoot for, 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 for on them obviously i have my my my, my sandals on hopped across these rocks as if they were nothing grabbed my bag and he was off my first thought was that diving mask from my from my stepdad and i said show hold the fishing rod and i tore after them robin probably a bit of a silly thing to do but i charged into that scrub 100 mile an hour the thorns were just ripping or ripping my clothes apart and i'm screaming in portuguese i'm gonna kill you right um, in the hope that having an Acuna, so a Westerner, uh, shouting, I'm going to kill you and, and not giving up would just be enough for them to drop the bag and lo and behold, I got about 30 feet into this thing. I, I, by the time I got there, I was completely um, torn up and there was my bag and I lifted the flap. Oh, it was all, all still in there, including my bottle of rum. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Yes, Mozambique, incredible, just in, an incredible place to visit. When, when you and I were there, it was war-torn and smashed up and everywhere stunk of, uh, can we say you, you know what, because obviously there were no toilets. Were, were not, was, when the Portuguese left, they filled the sewers with concrete, didn't they? As in, in Almost in spite of the,
0: of the locals, so there were mm. no sewers or anything. They were about feet and going over rocks, I used to take my soldiers um for runs in the morning uh inside the inside the minefield perimeter and uh they used to take their boots off to go running because the boots were, pa- 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 were for parades yeah and, um you know so when they're in uniform properly they put their boots on but they preferred it without them but their their soles are their feet when we finished the run they would be pulling camel thorns out of their feet and just you know no big deal <laughs> yeah. unbelievable we used to hold football matches
1: at the school and um The lads would rock up. Only half of them had training shoes. Most of the trainers were donated. So um, when you go in a a shoe shop and you buy a new pair and they say, do you want to leave your old pair here? That's, that's where they go. They get given to some aid organization who then gets them out to such countries. So only half the guys would have track training, a quarter rather. And what they would do is one would wear the right and one would wear the left. Doesn't matter. Even if you were a right foot striker, you you might have a left, just just the left. The kid, the football, the, the kids played with, not 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 in this case. they don't have a proper football for these kind of Sunday league matches. Yeah. But the children in the school, they would get a carrier bag, twist it up, wrap it around itself, get another carrier bag, twist it up, until they had a football sized clump of carrier bags that they then bound with with a string. And that they had nothing else, Robin. Well, I don't. I don't need to tell you, do I? They didn't have
0: any Western toys. Nothing. Some you know, of them when, were... when they're um, worried about illness, when they're worried about their family, when they're worried about enough food, when they're um, you know, when they're worried maybe that the roof's coming down because you've had a hurricane or something like that. You know, they don't have time to worry about their mental. They only worry about what's really, really important on a day-to-day basis. Um, If you ask them something along the lines of, you know, how do you feel, they would tell you how they feel in that moment. They wouldn't be worrying about how they're going to feel tomorrow or how something's affecting them. They would just getting on and living life. And um, it's not a bad idea. Yes, exactly. One of the
1: poems in your book, you might have to give me a steer, or I'll be here forever. It's the one about the mother, wasn't it? We were discussing it earlier. Yeah, Unspoken
0: Love. Yeah, what page are we we on, just so I can... Refer- yeah, it's near the back. It's coming towards the end of the book, Unspoken Love. And it's about my... It's My mother died when she was 37. She had me when she was 17. And so, yeah, it's page 89. And um, when you're uh, a selfish young person, getting on with your life and growing up, you don't have much appreciation for your parents. And... Um, She was gone before I was old enough to appreciate. And I grew up in an environment where we didn't touch, we didn't shake hands, we didn't express our feelings for one another. And, um, you know, so the poem's called Love Unspoken, and it's about how we felt for one another, but um, we didn't say it, we didn't express it. It's about that, you know. Yes,
1: I'm not going to read any, unless Robin particularly wants to. Um, (laughs) You're a good reader.
0: You're a good reader you're a good reader
1: well funny you should say that I um I was in a library group once when I was a youth uh no I think it was when I was a substance misuse specialist so basically a drug worker used to go to this organization because one of my clients used used to attend and I would go there to sort of chaperone him for want of an incorrect (laughs) wrong want of the proper term and um in this library they said right who's going to read the the book next and someone said chris would you and of course i was just getting into writing my own books then and that sort of thing and um sometimes you can really nail it you can get yeah. you know the pauses in the right place clarity of voice yeah really just and um and other times you you when you try talking into one of these to
0: record your audio book yeah, you just think you sound like an absolute plank <laughs> you you sound much better if you're stood up um, because your lungs work better. And if you've written it yourself, obviously, the, the emotion and the depth and the rhythm is exactly how you want it to be rather than somebody else doing it. I mean, the one of the joys... I mean, I broke my neck when I was 54 and I was having some real problems with recovery, not in terms of paralysis, but in terms of constant headaches. And um, so I thought, i would take my mind off it by... Right? Uh, going to university, I couldn't teach karate anymore. So I went off to university as an undergrad at 56, and I did creative writing with um, English literature. The one thing in the creative writing that really gripped me was that I knew absolutely nothing about poetry and its different forms and its different makeups and and how it works and how clever it can actually be. And although we use it, we don't understand, we can sing a song, but we don't understand how to write write the song or write the music. And it really gripped me, and so um, I wanted to use some of that three years of academia in uh, in, in warrior Poet soldier songs to um, try and express some of the things I'd learned. And it really is a labour of love. Um, it's not a commercial product, you know. Um, uh, write something about bombs and guns and gat and bash them and smash them, and you know you're going to get an, you're going to get an audience. But um, I'm hoping that there's a certain clientele out there uh, take the time to sit down and. And try to um, just see what the, what, the, what what it's about. It's um, it's got things about suicide, the deaths of my friends in war. Um, it's got um, that hard attitude as well as the, um, the the sort of morose attitude. It's got that uh, come on, get stuck in there, atom and fashion, you know it's got some of that in there as well because there needs to be a balance. But yeah, it's very much a labour of love.
1: It. We'll, we'll, I want to talk about literature and and your depth of knowledge and and that sort of thing. Even you you mentioned the sagas later on in your book, the kind of the Norsk or Icelandic texts that that, that is how they how they remembered history, isn't it? Um, but just this this love unspoken. So this is the poem about your mother, and it's really funny. Well, it's not funny. It's the wrong word. Yeah. But grief is a funny thing because I I choose. I try not to do it. I, you know, I've had some close people die to me, most in just tragic circumstances. Um, my best mate, Lee, drowned when we were on holiday in Portugal. That's a funny situation to be in. stood on a beach with your best mate's dead body at your feet. Didn't even know, I hadn't even met his parents, Robin. It was just, but I'm just like, okay, hey-ho let's move on next, you know, and I just try and celebrate life and I, I don't want to go there, you know, and I certainly don't want to like dine out on that sort of shit, you you know, and have it be my, my, my moniker that, Oh, this is, I I, I don't deal with it. I move on. I tend tend to have one bloody good cry that comes about a month later triggered by something Lee triggered me because he'd left um, uh, a tea stain in my kitchen. I remember saying to him, oi, and, it, and months later it was still on, it was on a plastic bag and I, I just looked at it and then it was, god, the floodgates
0: open. Well you're crying for yourself because the grief is your experience, the person's gone and gone, so you're crying for yourself, your loss, it's your loss, not theirs.
1: Yeah, when, when my my mum died it was a it was a funny situation and I hope to our young people who might be watching this you can maybe take something from this but one of my best experiences as a, a toddler stroke child I was going shopping with my mum and I think you say here we held on to the the pram or whatever yeah. I remember going shopping with my mum going come on son you know come on Chris we've Got and it was such a lovely feeling I'm with my mum right and yet as I got older and went through lots of upheaval I think three three separations led to divorce i I won't even go into the depths of what went on but it was it wasn't wasn't very pleasant um and off the back of that there was lots of remarriages way more than you need in this life you know hopefully you can do it in a one of folks i won't even get married i've got a girlfriend and she's just awesome right anna waited 45 years for her um but I didn't always hit it off with my mum and, and we would just, it was all personality issues, Robin, you know, she had a lot going on. I don't, I, to this day, I couldn't tell you why because that generation would never discuss it with you. Right. My son, I'll tell him everything. You know, Well, he's young. I don't obviously go too deep, but he's going to know all my faults, right. All the stupid things I've done. if I'm if I do wrong I'm gonna say sorry right and he gets I love you 50 times a day along with 50 hugs and about 500 kisses every day (laughs) probably doing this a bit wrong folks but maybe I'm overcompensating one hug off my dad as a kid one and it was when he come back from the pub a bit a bit pissed um no and he's not slagging my dad off this is how things very often were back then people not in touch with their feelings and all kinds of um uh like bullshit etiquette really that people conform to and it it was just all a bit silly but so there i am two days after or three days after my mum died and i'm so glad that we got it together in the end and i was able to nurse her she, she died of asbestos poisoning she was a nurse in, in Charing Cross Hospital in London. After the war, the place was full of asbestos because of the rebuilding from the bombing. And there she was trying to do her best for people as a nurse, poisoning herself as she worked there. And um, that the mesothelioma, you usually you're dead in three months. She actually went on for a year. So we had a, a, a bit more time time with her than, than most people get. And in that time, there was no argy-bargy. There wasn't, there wasn't going to be any arguments. It was just me and my mum. And as I think I said to you, Robin, two days after she died, I went to the house. I was met with more cards than i would ever seen in my life. So I start to read them, you know, one at a time. And, it's, and it was to her husband at the time, it was a called Paul. Um, Paul, Barbara was just the loveliest woman we ever had the pleasure to meet. Every time I walked past her showing shops, you know, she would wave. Every time I took a pair of jeans in, she'd just take them up. For, Robin, I'm reading about a woman I never knew. I never knew this, you know. Um, so I'd encourage anybody out there, don't get over whatever you're trying to understand your parents, because if they're a bit knobby, it's probably because they've had a bit of a shit end of the stick themselves. Right. And they ain't going to change. It's just it seems to be the nature of things. People have a lot of pride and, well, get rid of your pride, you know, give your parents a hug, tell tell them that you love them. And, uh, you know, don't do what I did, which is find out two days after they're gone. Mum died, God, years ago now, Robin, but I think it's only just, I'm only just starting to think about it now. Um, so thank you for your, thank you for your poem, you
0: know. I hope somebody can engage with it. You know, that's wow. the thing.
1: You've you've done you've you've achieved what all writers dream of, which is you've got one person who's engaged, and that's all you need, isn't it? Anyone else is a bonus.
0: Well, I'm 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 I'm, I'm proud of it, regardless. Um, it's um, it's a work of art, and um, you know it it has a limited audience, but uh, I'm glad it's out there. I think um, I think it's worth it. <laughs> yes, you're obviously very well read,
1: or, or well there's lots of books out there aren't there so that's kind of subjective but is it how did you get in have you always been a reader yeah
0: i've always loved um books i love books more than television <laughs> um i think um being a soldier um you know i didn't the idea of going into the tv room and not being able to watch the program you want because the other lads are watching top of the pops or something you know so um mm. you uh I, I, I can could, I could escape in books. I remember being uh, stuck up in the barracks in Northern Ireland, um, you know, reading um, Leon Uris's Trinity. Um, and then gradually getting into more and more books and then being in the jungle. And, um, you know, once it gets dark in the jungle, you don't move, so you light a light little candle and then you can't sleep, so you're not, maybe not that tired. So you light a candle and you get this big book that's gonna last you for the four or five weeks that you're there. And um, so he started to read more and more. And nowadays I tend to have about six, six books on the go at the same time, but different books. So I'm reading, um, what am I reading? Um, I'm reading Barack Obama's A Promised Land. I'm reading The Rise and Fall of Communism. Um, <laughs> I'm reading um, um, a Stephen Hawking's book, that I can't remember the title of. But and I leave them around the house and the most difficult one I leave in the toilet. <laughs> and, uh, um, and they're, they're different books, but they're um, words are words power. Mm. If you're eloquent, I mean, so many people out there that want to say something, but won't say anything at all because they don't feel that they have the vocabulary to express themselves. So hey,
1: words most, are power. Most of power. Most of the ones that express themselves to me haven't got the vocabulary. It, don't, it doesn't yeah. seem to bother them.
0: <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, so but there are people that really have something important they want to say. If you say it for them. Then they're, they're really pleased because they go, yes, that's, that, that's what I wanted to say. That's what I meant. He said it for me. Good for him. And um, reading reading people, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a great admirer of Barack Obama. Um, and I'm a great admirer of Boris Johnson as well. But reading the eloquence in, the, in their language, and some of it's written for them, but it, it means a great deal to me. And I, I, I read, take little notes and go, how I wanted to say it. That's how I'm going to say it in the future. Because... Um, words are power. Um, we're all, people control us with their words and they lift our emotions and they drop our emotions. It's what theatre does. Mm-hmm. It's what music does. Um, so, and poetry is emotion in words. So that connection. So a lot of us get frustrated because we're angry about something, but we can't express it. So we do it with swear words or frustration because we can't actually say what it is that's making us angry in a way that won't make the other person. Yeah. So, Ooh, you know, we, we rely yeah, you,
1: on our body language or telepathy. You've perfected the art, haven't you, of replying to people? I've noticed that on your social media. You're, you're always very gracious, but quite direct. And, and um, yes, I think it's good. I, I, it's, it's, a diff, it's a difficult place to be when you're in the public eye and you've got social media, because is that your page where people come to celebrate you because they enjoy what you do, what you say, what, how, how you enable their lives? Um, Yeah, I mean, I've got got the
0: old wise wise old paratrooper stuff that goes out, you know, which is what I named uh, my little trilogy of books, wise old paratrooper books. But I kept coming out with these little short uh, maxims, these little short sayings that um, would carry a message. And so, you know, the wise old paratrooper tag started to attach to me. And then you start to get people asking you in private on Messenger for advice. And many times they start by attacking you so they're going, you shouldn't have said this, you shouldn't have done that, you're um, an effing this and so on, you know, and then you start to talk back to them in a reasonable and understanding way, and in, in some cases, not in all, in some cases you end up being their counsellor or their guide, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's quite humbling and quite nice too, to be able to use your language skills with, with a certain amount of benefit to others, but that's teaching as well, that's what teachers do, and I love teaching, so there's an aspect of teaching to those comments but when you come across people who open an engagement on social media with an insult then it's best just to block and delete (laughs) block and delete and occasionally i get i'm in a bad mood or you know something i'm not too happy on that particular day and i'll i'll send a cutting comment back um and then i'll feel bad about it and i'll delete it (laughs) you know so um best not to engage yes the the the, more, the bigger your audience
1: becomes, it, it really starts to become a juggling thing, because <sighs> am I going to reply to a guy that's just been rude about either myself or my guest? Right? And, it's, and if I take the might be 15 minutes to, to get the reply to mean what you want it to mean, yeah. then it doesn't end there. Very often, Robin, it's, a, oh, Chris, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. Love your podcast, mate. Love what you do, right? It's the same when I meet someone in public and I happen to know what they've been saying in, uh, um, you know, behind my back. And and, it, and it's, are you Chris Full? Oh, I love your. It's okay, do you? And it, yeah, I flew all the way to Hong Kong to have one of those, um, yeah, those type meetings. Believe me, that was quite that you walk into a, a bar in Hong Kong and you just walk up to the guy that's. Been slagging you off on social media for the last six months, calling you a uh, basically
0: a water or whatever. Not, not, not that I. I but when, I care. when people do that, when people do that, it says so much to the public about them. It says nothing about you. And um, there's 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 one individual in the whole world who spends an awful lot of his time and energy um, doing that to me. And um, all he's doing is telling everybody what he is, rather than what I am. So. You know, you've just got to get a bit thick skinned and um, just ignore it. It really is. Yeah. It can be tough. Who the hell would want to be a politician? Eh? Who the hell?
1: <laughs> what I was um, what I'm sort of thinking now is it's like, dude, I could spend 50 minutes replying. You wrote, if you're going to be one of these people that just comes back and you haven't completely mm-hmm. haven't either listened to what I said or been gracious. Sorry, dude, you're gone. It's because my, I could be with my mm-hmm. son. And then it gets to the point, Robin, where who should you be replying to? And it gets hard because some people are very kind. They say, Chris, and they'll write a whole thing. And at the end, they'll say, look, please don't reply to me. I know you're busy. Right. And, and they get it right. Others send me 30 video links. Videos are an hour and a half each. And I think you don't really understand like, what. What the life of a content producer is like, what it takes to to try to try to make a success of something in this world without having a you know outside of a, a job. I I don't have a time to watch a half hour video that I yep. want to watch, let alone to watch thirty two hour videos. That I, don't get me wrong, folks. I I, I appreciate the the connection, um, but it does get to the point where who should you be replying to? Because my boy comes first, Robin. You know my boy comes first and I've already spent too much time.
0: Yeah, I get people complaining that I don't respond to them. And um, so I'll put up a general post saying, guys, you know, I'd love to respond to everybody, but sometimes I'll get, I'll get six or 700 different comments in a day and, um, you know, I can't, but I do scan through them to see if there's anything of, you know, that I, I think is of great importance, but you can't reply to everybody much as you'd like to and um, the same goes for people that'll um, who, who, who send you links well if you've got a link stick it up on stick it up on Facebook don't send it to me on messenger you know because it's not enough hours in the day and I've got a life too
1: yeah I'm having to start to get team members involved now but and <laughs> I've got wonderful people on the on the on the team um, because just there isn't enough hours in the day, is there? They, no. and it's not, it becomes not fair on you in the end, because I can sit here, get to the end of a day. I might have been up since, well, this morning I was up at four, um, out running, I think, by half four, shower for five. Um, then I'll sit down at the computer, and I can still be here at 10 o'clock at night, and I've not done one single piece of work. I've just spent it. Replying yeah. to this, this you know, the emails that just keep coming, the comments keep coming, the messages, and you've got to ask yourself, hang on, what am I? Am I do I produce stuff or do I just yeah, don't think there's a? I, I definitely think there's a way to get a balance. Um, I can understand people like the Joe Joe Rogan and who you know he just um, doesn't reply to any. <laughs> I think he's got. Well, a that's,
0: that's, that's, that you need to when you get to that level of celebrity, you you just need to. Um, let people know that you know you're you're seeing their stuff, but you haven't got time to uh, get back to them and um, and carry on and not not worry about it because five minutes later they've written it and they're not worried about you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not, and if somebody's doing something negative, sometimes they're just getting some kind of satisfaction at prompting a response from you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, people people who put up an insult shouldn't expect you to read the next sentence because i don't if it starts with you're a twat you know then um then that's it it's blocked and deleted the rest of it doesn't count <laughs> Not it's there It's anymore. sad
1: that there's so many unhappy people in in, in in this modern life is creating more of this there was a time if you engaged interacted with another person you you had to be polite it's just the way it was if you, you didn't punch in the nose if you
0: didn't <laughs> yeah. you got
1: one of those and then you went Do you know what i'm actually going to be a bit more polite in it. but yeah
0: funny funny life isn't it well it's, i mean you you mentioned earlier on about doing your um your 10 secrets for success and there's a, exactly that point in it yeah. you know you know don't let people use your good manners against mm. did you say the in the paras you were watching top of the pops oh yeah
1: definitely abba abba <laughs> well yeah i get that i get that i just i would pitch you more watching cooking cooking programs and
0: I had to watch what everybody else had to watch. You had a television room with one television in it that you were allowed to watch on a Wednesday night. And um, you went in there and put Top of the Pops on. And um, that's when I was a boy soldier. And of course, you know, um, 15, 16 year old boys now, but they, they go together You're very, very well. And that's what everybody wanted to watch and probably me too. Um, My day, it was all videos. So
1: can you imagine trying to watch the, watch till the end of a film? when your guard shift changes every four hours <laughs> it's almost almost a bit necky to put a film on because you're you're going to watch it but half of these guys are,
0: are only going to get are only going to watch well before videos we had books <laughs> one of the books yes. i read as the boy soldier was the x ex- and um you know uh, it's uh, i was 16 16 and a half when i was reading it scary book Scary book to read. I mean, the film, okay, everyone was kicking up hell about the film and people parading outside cinemas and um, and saying how terrible and destructive it was. But a uh, 16-year-old reading that book, yeah, I remember that. That was uh, that was quite a book. But a book, you put it down, you pick it up. You put it down, you pick it up. Um, that's why it's something real that you can hold on to as well, rather than an e-book. You know, much as I sell my books on Kindle, um, not worry a poet because um, – because it's illustrated and you can't really get those illustrations uh, across very well on Kindle but um, so that's going to be that's going to be what it is now yeah, that's going to be what it is that photograph was taken on Mount Longdon it's an artistic expression of a photograph but that was taken on Mount Longdon by one of my opportune sergeants called uh, Graham Colbeck and he's credited at the beginning of the book for that um, so it's a, it's an actual it's not an it's not an imaginary scene, it's a real scene. I just I'd encourage anybody to read Vince Bramley's
1: book. I think it's called Excursion to Hell. As I said, I'm not sure if I said it in this podcast or the one before. Um but it's if you look at the description below this video that says Chris Frull shop and all the books in the podcast you can find there. And there's also all the books that I've loved in my life that really have helped shape the person that I've become um someone that's just massively wanted to see the whole world in latter life who's taken up the sort of extreme endurance stuff it's all off the back of i'll read a book and go i want to do that um yeah vince vince Bramley's book about it mainly centers on the attack on mount longdon and it's
0: just an eye-opener a yeah real, real real eye-opener yeah that um you know, that was, uh, that, was, that was real soldiering, without any doubt at all, you know. I mean, all soldiering, where people have got guns on the other side and shoot them at you is real soldiering. I'm not putting anything down. But you, it's the last time that the Air Force, the Navy, and the Army were involved in together in combined operations um, and um, in, a, in, in a scenario that was straight out of, in some ways, the Second World War. It really was. Yeah, bloody RAF had to do some work, didn't they? Everybody did, mate. I, um, when I got picked up, I parachuted into the sea and got picked up by the Andromeda. And um, the uh, morale and the spirit of the, the Matlows, the Navy guys, was tremendous. I mean, I'm a lousy seaman, you know, I just want one of them gave me his bunk to uh, lay on because I get seasick very, very easily and um, brought me tea and everything. <laughs> You weren't with Bob Shepard, by any chance? Were you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I
1: spoke to. I was on the phone to Bob a couple of days ago. Um, he's in in New York now. Yeah, I'm in touch with him. Yeah, he said uh, he's come friends. He's coming on the show uh, in a couple of weeks' time. He said, "Yeah, we parachuted into the sea." I'm like, "Well, slow, 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 slow down. Well, you can't do this on the podcast. You, you got. To, do you want to tell us a bit more about that, Robin? Because
0: it really sounds yeah, well. We um we. It was coming towards the end of the campaign and we were supposed to go into Argentina and uh, on a one way mission to take out the jets that were sinking our ships, but uh, the mission finally got cancelled. So our commanding officer managed to get us um, permission to fly down and do another mission uh, coming into possibly coming into Port Stanley from the rear. Um, But so there were two aircraft with 65 SAS soldiers bursting to get into the war still. Flying down. One of the aircraft's um, refuelling nozzle broke. So that one had to turn back. So now there's 35 of us. And uh, we get down there and um, all our equipment has been uh, prepared by the RAF uh, in one tonne boxes to go out the back on heavy drop parachute. So we're all standing there waiting to jump out in dry suits. Out goes the, uh, out goes all our equipment and all the parachutes come off. And so Um, And we follow it out and all our equipment is bombing the ships that are waiting in the fleet to pick us up. So there we are, you know, 35 men from B Squadron, 22 SAS, uh, arrived to take part in the war. And um, our kit, most of our kit goes to the bottom of the ocean. Um, We get picked up and put on the ship. But the Argentinians, fair to fair, the Argentinians heard that these 30 men from B Squadron, 22 SAS, had arrived. And uh, two days later they surrendered so yeah job done hey they're only
1: human mate <laughs> I'll tell you what if you have any country wants to get kitted out for, for 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 a conflict just hoover up the bottom of the South Atlantic isn't it I think all of our a lot of our equipment went
0: went down there sadly yeah, a, lot of, a lot of a lot of good ships a lot of good men as well yeah and a yeah. lot of good uh, good chinooks wasn't it well, the Atlantic conveyor was first hit when it was in uh, San Carlos Harbor and um, went down with our sea harriers, yeah. Yeah, incredible, incredible. And can we do our um, 10 points?
1: <laughs> yes, let's bring this part to a close because I'll put that out as a, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a separate one. So Robin, here's the book, folks, to our dear friends at home, Warrior Poet, A Soldier's Songs, highly, highly recommended. Give this to, definitely give this to any veteran, and they'll, um, that will be something that they will will will, will treasure. But as I said earlier, um, I think it's to be appreciated by by everybody. Um, if I could ask you all at, at home, please like and subscribe so we can keep keep building the channel and have more um, enlightening and educating chats like that. That would be wonderful. And Robin, until the next time.